Welcome to Untold Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Osama Gawish. Last week, questions like, do we expect a war invasion, later escalation between Russia and Ukraine, were repeatedly discussed on the mainstream media globally. Unfortunately, today, after six days of this ugly, horrific war in Ukraine, we can only talk about innocents who lost their lives because of Russian bombshells. We can discuss the fate of more than half millions refugees who fled Ukraine to save their lives. And we can highlight brave Ukrainians who are still in Kiev, Kharkov, defending their country. And of course, we can address how the war is bad, how the war is danger, and it is only bringing death, destruction, fear, instability, and blood. People around the world are following the war, supporting desperate refugees who fled Ukraine last week. The European Union estimates that up to 4 million people may try to leave the country because of the Russian invasion. Refugees are crossing the borders to neighboring countries in the West, to the West, such as Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, and Moldova. On Monday, the UN said that more than 670,000 people had entered these countries from Ukraine. But if you are watching Russian state media, you may ask why these people are freeing Ukraine. You may find the answer here. A Russian missile strike hit the Ukrainian capital's TV tower, killing five people and wounding five more near the site of Babinyar Memorial to Second World War Nazi massacres. The attack on Kiev's TV tower took place after Russia's defense ministry urged Kiev's inhabitants to leave, saying it planned to strike communications and intelligence sites in the capital. Missile strikes on Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, killed at least 18 civilians and wounded dozens more when they struck the regional government headquarters and the residential block on Freedom Square. More than 70 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed after Russian artillery hit a military base in Okterka, a city between Kharkiv and Kiev. A second round of talks between Russia and Ukraine has been scheduled for tomorrow. Russian state media cited a source on the Russian side as saying Ukraine officials have yet to confirm. In the meantime, Russia has blocked two independent media organizations. Those TV channel, also known as TV Rain, and Echo Moscovy Radio for spreading deliberately false information about Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says Russia must stop bombing Ukrainian cities before meaningful talks about ceasefire can begin. Addressing the European Parliament on Tuesday, Zelensky declared that Ukraine is giving away its best people for its desire to be treated as equals and for the price of freedom. He urged European leaders to prove that you are with us and light will win over darkness. Hear the translation of what President Zelensky said this morning. This is the price of freedom. We are fighting just for our land and for our freedom despite the fact that all large cities of our country are now blocked nobody is going to enter and intervene with our freedom and country and believe you me every square up to today no matter what it's called it's going to be called 
as today, Freedom Square, in every city of our country. Nobody's going to break us. We are strong. We are Ukrainians. We are strong. This we are Ukrainians. So this was an emotional speech from the Ukrainian pre- president. Zelensky. So today we will discuss stories in Ukraine, what's the future, the scenarios of this war. And joining me today in this episode, uh, Olena Sotnek, a member of Ukrainian parliament and human rights defenders, and Caroline Rose, a senior analyst and the head of power vacuum program at New Lines Institute, and Mustafa Darwish, award-winning video journalist who covered the refugee crisis on Ukrainian borders, and Ina Sovson, member of Ukrainian parliament and deputy head of Golosmin party and first deputy minister of education and science in Ukraine from 2014 to 2016. So thank you all for joining me today. And um, Ina, I'm trying to invite you to speak. If you just accept my invitation, you will be with us on the stage. Thank you very much. And let me start with you, Olina How are things yeah. right now in Kiev? Yes, I can. Hi, Osama. This is Ina. I can uh, speak now. If, uh... Yeah, hi. Hi, Ina. Okay. Hi. Um, it's, it's a question for, for you both, for you and Olina, if, if you want to jump in. How are things right now in Kiev? Well, we are under uh, air strike alert again as of this day. Uh, we calculated that there were 13 sirens blaring Uh, during uh, the past 24 hours here in Kiev. Uh, there were some explosions heard. Uh, we don't know where exactly uh, and whether that was uh, uh, actually the bomb hitting the target or not. Uh, but uh, overall, the situation is uh, as it is, as you hear it on the news. We are under constant uh, airstrikes. Uh, today, uh, one of the missiles did hit the uh, TV, power, uh, TV tower. Uh, killing five people just walking past it, and uh, the, I've seen the video of people who were basically burned by by them, uh, by the bombing, and they're just burned like com- completely burned. So this is extremely scary. I'm still trying to grasp this new reality that we're living in. It's still unbelievable. It still feels like I can just wake up and everything will be different. Uh, but we are at war, and it's real, and it's killing people on the streets, uh, both in Kiev and as of now, particularly in Kharkiv, which is my native city, second biggest city in Ukraine, two million people, which is being constantly shelled by, and, and bombed by Russians uh, three days in a row. I, I'm so much feeling for Kharkiv right now. So compared to Kharkiv, uh, Kiev is... Uh, feeling a bit safe, but that is nothing close to normal. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that and um, full solidarity with you and with all Ukrainian in this uh, war. Ina, you are talking with us from Kiev, yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah, I really appreciate that and really appreciate that the danger you are living in. So any time you want to just um, leave us whenever you feel it's safe for you, Um, it's totally respected and I totally appreciate that you're joining us. Thank you very much. And Olina, um, I'm also want to ask you regarding the, the feeling about Kiev, about Kharkiv and other cities now under bombshells and under fire from Russian military. Yeah, I would definitely agree with everything what Zina said, but 
Um, mainly, I want to mention that we have uh, also a very difficult situation with Kherson, which is totally blocked with military army of Russia. And we have very uh, difficult humanitarian situation. For example, today, like uh, almost all day, I was trying to solve problem of uh, uh, just evacuation of children from orphans' houses in on this territory. So it was impossible because there is no uh, humanitarian humanitarian corridors. So it's very hard, really, to help children. Uh, it's very hard to uh, hard to help. Uh, people who are, for example, with some uh, heavy disease or, for example, women who are pregnant. I don't know if you saw these videos, but some of them, they just uh, have uh, to stay in uh, like very difficult conditions. And also, today I've got video of children who has cancer and uh, hospital has to move to uh, the uh, bomb shell uh, shelter in order to protect them because it was heavy shellings and they don't have uh, appropriate equipment you know to provide all the uh, medical uh, services for them and they are in a very heavy uh, very hard conditions so i think one more um, important uh, issue which we need to mention it is of course humanitarian situation mainly what is happening russians uh, they have uh, their own uh, propaganda for many many years and if you like listen to their news they would say the officials that they are not targeting civilians that they don't have any idea how like to threaten civilians but uh, in reality it is uh, 100 opposite so the main target of Russian army is not even military. Uh, the main target, our civilians, our uh, civilian objects, humanitarian services, uh, and other things which provide uh, like uh, basic needs for citizens. And I think this is the most cynical uh, thing about this war, that uh, Putin, he doesn't uh, want to target, uh, and he doesn't want, you know, to... Uh, fight equally with military and army. He is fighting with those who, who doesn't have uh, weapons to protect themselves, who doesn't have any means to protect themselves. And, uh, of course, uh, this is a horrible situation. But at the same time, you know, still I feel very proud and uh, I feel very inspiring about our people, about ordinary citizens, which without any weapons trying to destroy heavy uh, equipment, military equipment like tanks. Uh, for example, of course, our uh, civil defense uh, uh, units, like uh, for two days, uh, more than uh, 50,000 people all over Ukraine they just decided to join this uh, civil uh, defense unit. Oh, it was 100,000 now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm oh, talking yeah. just about first two days. Yeah, of oh, course, yeah, after, after five days, it's more and more. I'm just telling you how the uh, uh, citizens mobilized, which is very important. I don't think that Putin, uh, he really expected this. And this is his main problem. He was thinking that we are going to uh, be scared, that we are going to uh, just, uh, you know, 
uh, agree on his uh, uh, conditions, but it is totally opposite. People, they are very, very angry. At the same time, they feel themselves very motivated to defeat this. Sorry, uh, I don't yeah. want to use bad words. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Olena, for, for this. It, it is untold stories. So if you or Anna have any untold stories from a human stories on the ground in Kiev or any other city, just please uh, do share it with us because I think um, that the world want to hear Ukrainian voices as humans, not as politicians or, or, or whatever. So, um, Caroline, I want to ask you about... Can I, um, can I, yeah, yeah, Inna, go ahead. Can I just say several of those? Uh, because I'm just... Uh, I will join Olena over here because what people over here are doing is just... It's just amazing, and I'm looking at those people, and they uh, they are joining these territorial defense units. Uh, they are like there is a small town in western Ukraine, and western Ukraine has not been uh, largely affected by that. There were there was some uh, air raid um, uh, alerts there as well. Uh, so there is a small town in western Ukraine. They didn't know how to help. So the the women of the town they just made two hundred kilograms of vareneke, which are like Ukrainian dumplings, and they send those uh, to, to Kiev because uh, to the hospitals in Kiev so that people will have food which has been prepared. Uh, so, so this is just a small story which just shows how different people in different parts of Ukraine are trying to, uh, to, to see how they can be of help. But the most amazing stories are truly those where people are just basically attacking the, the, the Russian uh, military uh, with their bare hands or just by, by sheer will. Like like the two stories most amazing today was that the Russians claimed that they have taken control over the city of Berdyansk, which is south of Ukraine, southeast, and the smaller town of uh, Kupiansk, which is Kharkiv region, so that would be to the east of Ukraine. So they came to the cities. I think that the, the, the mayors have left the cities, uh, so, so there was no like real um, authority there. So they claimed uh, the, the control over the cities. And you know what Ukrainians in those people in those uh, cities did? They went to the streets to protest against that. And that is just amazing. So there are people on tanks in your city who are definitely hostile. And what people do, they go to the streets to protest. And, and they actually kicked them out of the, of the administrative buildings, uh, which is just amazing, which is um, it's unbelievable. And what is important to understand, because I know that Putin has been uh, using his propaganda machine to, to say that uh, uh, he is coming to Ukraine to free the Russian-speaking population. Yep. But actually, both the cities of Bernansk and the, and the town of Kupiansk are mainly Russian-speaking cities. So, so his claims that he is coming here to free the Russian speakers are completely false because I know for sure that uh, Russian-speaking soldiers are fighting as hard against the Russian soldiers yeah. as, as Ukrainian-speaking. So, so all this narrative that he's coming here because we are in some way oppressing the Russian speakers, they, they don't hold here because the Russian speakers in Kharkiv, again, my native city, I'm getting so messages from there, from people who are scared. And there was one message that I got today from uh, uh, my former classmate with whom I haven't been in touch for, for 20 years now since I graduated high school. And she just sent me a message on, on one of the, of the social media on Instagram, I think. And she sent a message saying, like, when will this fascist stop? Someone needs to do something about him because we are dying here. 
So, so she's from Russian speaking family. She was born and raised in Kharkiv. She still lives in Kharkiv, unlike myself. And she uh, is claiming that Putin is fascist. She wants him out and she just wants uh, to go back to her life in, in, uh, in what now is a basically destroyed city of Kharkiv. So, so, so when you're hearing those narratives claiming like, like uh, Putin is doing something good for someone here in Ukraine, yeah. I don't think there is a single person in Ukraine that wants Putin to come. Everyone hates him so much right now and everyone just wants him to... to get out of our country. I think this is a very strong message in a, someone should do something. We are dying here. Carolyn, I want to start with you with this message from Ukrainian people who are under fire now, under Russian missiles. Uh, who should do something to save these lives? Well, thank you, Osama. And I also, before I begin, I want to just uh, say how incredibly sorry I am to Inna and Elena um, I've been watching, as as many have in Washington and, and uh, abroad, what's been going on in Ukraine, and I'm just absolutely devastated uh, with with this intervention. And I, my heart goes out to both of you, and I thank you both for sharing your stories and uh, really the the bravery and the heroism that has been exemplified by the Ukrainian people has been just absolutely astonishing. And so I just wanted to begin with that. And I, I pray for both of your safety. Um, in terms of what the world should do, I think that I'm not alone in saying that I've been incredibly frustrated with the lag that we've seen um, with, with the international response uh, to these territorial violations and human rights abuses in Ukraine. Actually, at this point, we should just call them war crimes. Um, just today, actually, a few minutes ago, there was a report that Russia was readying um, uh, its, its thermobaric weapons and, and placing launchers, and those are the vacuum bombs that we'd seen before. Um, in terms of the Western response that I think that we've been a day behind with almost every incremental step that we've imposed, uh, the sanctions that we saw, uh, particularly the, the designation of Swiss sanctions, I think was a day too late. Um, I think that despite some incredibly brown, groundbreaking measures that we'd seen in the international community, particularly with uh, Germany changing its defense posture, uh, you know, the, the revived NATO accession debate in Sweden and Finland. Still, I think that we are not acknowledging the, hum the huge human security cost that has been imposed in Ukraine. And I think that Olena made an excellent point where there aren't any corridors for humanitarian assistance. Um, we've seen some response to the displacement crisis that we've seen uh, from Ukraine, but we haven't really had a robust discussion about how we can create these humanitarian corridors to address the sick, to address the wounded, to address those that have been uh, marginalized by this crisis and have been targeted. Um, so I think that that's incredibly important. But I, 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 am, I will say that, you know, certainly the coordination between the United States and NATO it, it is evident, just given the months of buildup to this crisis. But Still, and, I think and Carolyn, you, you mentioned that, yeah, the humanitarian corridors and Olena and Ina talked about it. Who is responsible to provide this humanitarian and safe corridors for Ukraine? So mainly, uh, of course, it is uh, international organization. First of all, it is Red Cross. 
and uh, you know it's very hard now to talk about this but uh, i'm also working as an advisor now to vice prime minister where she is responsible on human humanitarian issues and uh, we are sending letters and uh, they are bringing us back uh, just to correct you know uh, separate words in the letter and there is no action because of the bureaucracy and really i feel very frustrated because you know for example tanks they are coming closer and closer to kievsky region and there are a lot of people in the small cities around the kiev they're sitting in just their uh, uh residency houses uh, in the like it is of course not uh, bomb shelters but something like this and they are staying there they are waiting for something but it it is possible that they could be victims or uh, just of this uh, heavy you know actions of uh, russian army which doesn't care about the civilians we saw uh, results because i'm also as a human rights defender we are collecting evidences of war crimes and we saw results what happened on uh, um, uh, territories uh, where already uh, like severe clashes for example we lost almost like uh, 100% we lost two cities on the uh, two towns it's not cities but still towns on the uh, uh, east of ukraine uh, and um, also uh, uh, there are a lot of villages which destroyed 100% and you can imagine that we still sometimes we still don't know how how many civilians were lost there you mentioned today about kharkiv i already know another figure that more than 100 civilians died in kharkiv and uh, you saw this uh, maybe uh, really cynical video when they just targeted uh, central square of this yeah. beautiful city and they targeted the uh, you mentioned babin yar uh, they targeted uh, also the center of kiev where a lot of civilians uh, just uh, uh, walking around because it like they didn't expect that it would be so brutal attack but you know and- olena i interviewed many russian commentator from moscow and they said and the russian media says that russia is not targeting civilians or residential building saying that all these videos are falsely created by western media to the distortion campaign against russia how how it could be like uh, uh, what what do they mean that it is like what fake like fake videos uh, like the numerous uh, evidences of just ordinary people in the internet we are collecting uh, uh, data from official uh, sources like for example a ministry of defense and we are collecting evidences of course from civilians we are collecting evidences from police we have different uh, sources of uh, this evidences and i'm telling you at least it is my mission uh, i'm not going like to uh, um, just uh, finish at uh, sorry i will finish at the point when putin would be in g- yeah. gag and he would res- would responsible for this uh, crimes because yeah. uh, they are so brutal uh, and the problem is you mentioned this uh, vacuum uh, bombs bombs yeah. they are prohibited by all the international rules they are prohibited and they are using this uh, just in the center of the cities and the problem is that we already lost a lot of children 
um, of course, many uh, uh, just parents, they've been trying to evacuate, uh, but not all the uh, like cities, they expected this attack. Yeah. It is the first thing. The second one, not everybody can just immediately, you know, leave the city. Uh, and uh, yeah, when we one, talk about people yeah. fleeing the cities, we, we are yeah. talking about thousands of refugees. Now, Mustafa, I, I want to um, ask you here. Yesterday, the UN said that more than 670,000 people had entered these countries from Ukraine. Poland has so far taken over 377,000 refugees, according to the UN. The Polish government says a further five uh, fifty thousand are arriving every day. Uh, you are doing now a brave job. You are went through Ireland and now you are on the Polish uh, uh, borders uh, between Poland and Ukraine, interviewing refugees. And I'll read your report um, this afternoon on Middle East Eye. So, please, what are things look like there? Uh, so, first of all, um, I'm sending uh, my hope. Uh, that everyone is safe, Olina and Dina and your family and everyone uh, in Ukraine. Um, and uh, so talking about what happened, uh, what's going on, uh, uh, today's story uh, that you have seen is um, about some uh, Middle Eastern guys um, that, uh, so I met those guys uh, at the temporary uh, shelter that is seven kilometer uh, from border crossing Krokusaba uh, uh, Krakovich. Uh, uh, um, this temporary shelter is a commercial, mainly commercial uh, center, and the Polish government used it uh, to accommodate people uh, temporarily. Um, this kind of, of shelters are accommodating people with, with very basic uh, needs. Uh, all are sleeping at the same place and like there is no privacy but you know it is just something was unexpected for for everyone um, and there are some points around the town here where the people can uh, get some uh, of their needs like clothes or toys for for children um, local uh, donate those things and um, there are a lot of volunteers that actually are doing different kind of, of things like for example like uh, today I met a Polish guy uh, working in Iceland and uh, like coincidentally uh, he's spending the holiday and visiting his family here uh, he decided to bring his van and to volunteer and help people uh, drive them wherever they want um, so, uh, back to these guys, um, uh, the, the, they were uh, from uh, Morocco and Egypt. Um, uh, this is what I mainly covered, um, like their journey and, and that. Um, so they and asked, how, how was the journey, Mustafa? Because from all I read, reports about refugees try to flee Ukraine and many cities, it's a horrible journey. Yeah, it is. Um, like, uh, as they told me, and as they seemed, they, they were, like, extremely tired. They were exhausted. And, um, 
they were in that time when I met them, they were contacting uh, their beloved people in, in the Middle East and they were trying to reach their embassies, uh, but they were kind of hopeless to get uh, assistance. Uh, uh, as as they told me, whenever they, they tried to contact the Moroccan embassy or the Egyptian embassy in, in Warsaw. Uh, here I'm going to talk about... Um, like group of Egyptian guys, I haven't met them actually, but we did the video call. They were in Romania. Um, they actually uh, came. They came. Um, they drove for 1,100 uh, kilometer uh, from the east, uh, close to the Russian uh, the Russian borders, and uh, they left their cars uh, in Lviv and they walked. Uh, uh, around uh, 48 kilometer, I remember. Um, they told me they, they walked that distance and they took uh, around 13 hours. Um, and they they had like very little uh, breaks during that journey. Um, so after they arrived uh, to the Ukrainian uh, Polish borders, they spent around three days uh, queuing and like some of the organizers they were pushing them back uh, in the queue and like they faced a lot of things uh, as you've seen uh, as you have seen in in the media Um, and like eventually they were kind of hopeless so they walked back the same distance where they can get another private uh, car some of them found their car, um, so they they drove to the Romanian um, uh, borders for another four hours, uh, and it was easier there uh, to pass. Yeah. Like they they dealt actually with with the same people, like the organizers here um, in in the Ukrainian uh, Polish borders are. Uh, the Ukrainian police and there in the Romanian borders also U- Ukrainian police. Like here, I I would say what's going on. Like it, it shouldn't happen, uh, but it is understandable. Like there are like thousands of people uh, are waiting and you know and they are queuing and um, so that was that was uh, uh, the situation for 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 uh, these guys. Uh, I just contacted um, uh, the guys in in Romania today, um, and they they just arrived uh, to Bucharest, and um, yeah. uh, they're supposed to get a flight by tomorrow or something. Um, we hope, yeah, they arrive safe. Mustafa, I will get back to you again to yeah, to hear yeah, and your hopefully, stories. Hopefully, yeah, and yeah. hopefully, Ukrainians, all of them will will go their homes again safely. Yeah, adding to what you're saying now, Mustafa, I want to share with you another story from Ukraine. Bijan Hosseini, he's a producer at CNN, tweeted this morning about his adopted sister. And I'll read the first tweet because he, he tweeted maybe 12 uh, tweet uh, uh, as a thread regarding the story. He wrote, my sister was um, trapped in Ukraine. This is a thread about her incredible journey to reach Poland. During her escape, she experienced racism, injuries, freezing temperature, and sleep 
deep revision. Her story is only one of the hundreds of thousands of people trying to get out. And I, um, I won't stop here and ask you, how many people are, are experiencing this horrific experience to fleeing the country right now? I don't think we can get the exact number. I've heard something around from 300,000 to 500,000 as of uh, yesterday, I think. But the numbers are, of course, pretty unclear. And I think the majority of people who did leave within the first uh, five days of war uh, are the people with uh, small children, which is explain, uh, which is easy to be explained. People are just uh, fleeing to save their kids. As a mother myself, I know for sure that the first bombs I heard uh, and the first thought after my my heart stopped, uh, stopped, you know, stopped bumping so hard was like, okay, I have to take care of my son. So, so that is completely understandable. I do understand that people did face um, terrific uh, dangers, uh, lack of comfort, uh, and so on. But I do hope that they are safe right now. Um, and uh, it's going to be extremely insensitive of me saying that, but I, I understand the pains and difficulties faced by people who did move out of the country. But again, I'm going back to thinking about the children who are still in here. Uh, children who are sleeping in bunkers three nights in a row, children who are uh, saying that uh, they are, I, I, I've read this uh, report, I didn't read the whole of it, but, but just part of it, the report on one of the biggest Ukrainian websites, which is called, Mom, how many more minutes to wait till the war ends? And that was the report from the bunker uh, in, in Kiev uh, from a five-year-old girl asking her mom, uh, when will that end? Because so many families, they just couldn't afford to leave for another country. So many families didn't want to leave because, well, for different reasons. So uh, my heart goes to all those families in need. Uh, and I just, um, I just really, really, really hate Putin for doing this. And I just want the whole world to know that uh, what he's doing to the Ukrainian people, to the Ukrainian children, he has already killed 16 Ukrainian children. Whenever he is saying that he is not targeting civilians, he is, he is blatantly lying. Uh, he is killing civilians as we speak in the cities, uh, particularly in Kharkiv right now, but in so many others as well. Uh, so, so this is an unbelievable humanitarian tragedy, tragedy um, which has been felt all over Ukraine, both for those people who did manage to, to, to flee, uh, and then also for those still staying here. So. Um, we all have to stay strong. That's my, my I think, my main yeah. message. And I would have to, to, to switch off uh, at that, I think. I'm sorry. Uh, but my main message is that we all have to stay strong. But uh, what I want to ask uh, for the international audience listening to this are just several things that myself as a member of parliament just have to say. Uh, please, please, please do help us uh, with uh, in fighting this evil. And there are several things that other countries can do. First of all, is just imposing full-scale trade embargo with Russia. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, Putin cannot sustain this war economically, meaning that he shouldn't receive any single dollar, pound, euro, whatever, for a single barrel of oil, because every single uh, euro being sent to, to Putin right now is being used to, to buy weapons with which he will continue killing Ukrainian children and, and well, adults. Yeah. Second big thing we're asking for is please help us support our army in any way possible. 
protective gear, uh, anything else that would be of use to the army right now. Trust me, our uh, boys and girls are fighting like hell. They are giving hell to, to the Russians right now. You could see that they're actually winning in this unbelievably unfair war that Putin has launched us. But but any support to the army is extremely useful. Uh, uh, if uh, if anyone listening to this is willing to donate, there is lots of information. You can uh, go to my Twitter, you can go to other sources. Uh, there is information about how you can help um, just by donating to, to beat to, to the Ukrainian army or beat to the humanitarian causes. Um, and and third big thing that we're asking of the, of the foreign governors is, of course, establishing no-fly zone over Ukraine. I know it's a big stretch and I know it's a big ask, but uh, I don't think a single country deserves what we are uh, getting right now. And I do believe that every single person listening to this would have been asking the same, uh, that uh, establishing no-fly zone, making sure that no bombs are falling on our heads anymore, that is the third thing we are asking for. So please, if if you are supporting those um, those messages, um, and if you're just a regular citizen, be it in the UK, in the US, or anywhere else, yeah. just uh, call your call your member of parliament, uh, write, uh, post on Twitter, um, do whatever it takes. Just please do not forget about this atrocity, atrocities happening here in Ukraine, and please, please help us. Um, um, thank you very much, Anna. You will leave us, or yeah, I will, I will have to leave. I have to. Uh, yeah, just want to thank to you for joining us, and please stay safe. We will keep in touch. Thank you very much thank for joining you. us today. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. And I want to just go, Olena, to the the, the audience. We have two callers and um, an interesting message from Momin. Mormon say hello. Firstly, solidarity to Ukraine, and it's really nice to be able to hear Ukrainian people here. What I'm interested to know, because as to my knowledge, Putin is a dictator and someone who is not chosen by his people, and some sanctions or a lot of sanctions affect the people in Russia. So do you think they deserve this or they are a part of what's happening in Ukraine? We also saw anti-war protests in Russia. And people got arrested and the rest at least took the risk of being arrested. So what's your comment about that? Uh, first of all, uh, if we are talking about Russians, uh, um, even if you are keeping silent, it means that you uh, agree with what your leader doing. Uh, of course, uh, it is very hard situation with democracy in Russia, but it depends of ma- of in of majority. Uh, we also had problems with uh, uh, like difficult uh, difficult periods of our history when we had Yanukovych and then Maidan. But people uh, they had enough, uh, you know, brave to wake up and uh, to fight. The problem with Russians that many of them, uh, they really believe what Putin uh, says and they really uh, support this, uh, as he said, uh, military operation. And they really uh, like don't understand that uh, like even keeping silent, they're part of this uh, war crime. So, uh, and I believe that there is only one way how to wake them up uh, it, to make them feel also uh, with uh, these economic uh, outcomes 
that what is happening, it, it would be punished. It would have uh, some consequences, first of all. But, um, you know, at the same time, I know that sanctions is very important. But my opinion, I would be very open and very clear. I think it, it is a bit late. So uh, we asked about sanctions for the last uh, eight years because the war started not yesterday, not on 24th of uh, February. It started eight years ago. And sanctions was very weak and West was very weak about Putin. They tolerated them. Some of them even cooperated with him uh, building Nord Stream 2, for example. And, you know, many of them, they've been investing uh, to the Russian Federation and uh, like helping in reality, helping Russia to become uh, military strong as they are now. And the problem is that sanctions, uh, a part of other actions, they wouldn't help to fight with Putin. Yes, we are going like you know uh, to fight till the end. Like uh, uh, we have a, a lot of brave uh, women and men, but you know if we are going to uh, fight alone, just uh, waiting when their economy will collapse, they have some reserves. It can happen within like three months or six months. And uh, tell me with uh, those. Uh, uh, like uh, outcomes which we have within like six days what is going to happen with our civilians what is going to happen with our cities uh, I, I, I really think that our army is the greatest army now in the world not because they are professionals not just because, because they are professionals but because they are really motivated not yeah. the Russians but they are not equipped the same as Russian army equipped. And this is a problem. We need really need aviation because they are bringing more and more heavy weapons. I am talking with you now and I, I, I received at the same time messages from different regions of Ukraine and now it is a lot from uh, Sumy region which on the border with uh, Russia. And they are alerting because uh, more than 10,000 uh, uh, of uh, heavy weapons now entering uh, to the region and without aviation, uh, without uh, uh, such uh, uh, things as Bayraktars and uh, other equipment, uh, aviation, I mean uh, uh, military aviation, yeah. it would be very hard to oppose this uh, uh, army. So I don't think that uh, sanctions is enough, first uh, message. Second message, yes, I know that no-fly zone uh, many leaders today, Boris Johnson said, sorry, we, we, will, yeah. we will support Ukraine with all the means, but no-fly zone, it is impossible. But, you know, in other cases, like, for example, it's happened with Israel, uh, it, it was possible. It means that it is a matter of political will. And uh, now this I, is yeah, this is the political hypocrisy we are experiencing in the last six days. Definitely. I will come definitely. shortly to Boris Johnson, uh, Olena, and I, I want to ask Carolyn too about this uh, point. But let us um, hear from our um, listeners. Uh, Kusha, if you just unmute yourself, please, and go ahead. Kusha. Okay. Let's. Hello. Take are you? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Kusha, just to press the call button again. We will listen to Mohammed now. Mohammed, if you just unmute yourself, please. Go ahead. 
Yeah, hi, thank you, Osama, very much for this uh, very important conservation and at uh, this uh, sad and critical moment, not for the people of uh, Ukraine, but for all of us, for all of people in all of countries who believe in peace and freedom. Uh, first of all, uh, Osama, I would like to express um, our solidarity with the, the people of Ukraine and completely condemns what is happening there. Um, that um, the truth, uh, uh, I believe the truth is that uh, as a Palestinian, we know the meaning of the war and we stand Osama, with the people uh, of Ukraine and with all people who fight for the freedom as what happened now in Ukraine. Um, um, yeah. The, the second thing, uh, I, I, I would like to mention a very important thing, that I think um, um, the, um, the Ukraine now must make a formal request to the International Criminal Court to investigate the Russia regime for this war and for the crime. Um, uh, so, uh, as at the same time, while the, the, uh, the people of Ukraine fighting uh, this uh, war, they need to take action in the International Criminal Court and ask the international community to investigate the uh, crime of uh, the Putin. Hmm. Um, uh, last thing, Osama, I, I, um, I, uh, what I, I want to say, I, I can almost hear the sound of bombing in Kiev from London here. So our, our hearts are with you guys. Um, we uh, feel with you. And uh, as an Arabic journalist, um, at every uh, hour I write, I publish, I, uh, uh, I encourage my college in the Arabic media to speak and publish and uh, explain to the people what's going on there in Ukraine. Because there is a propaganda machine uh, from the Russia, they're trying to uh, to publish a, a propaganda, and we need to, as a journalist, as a media, we need to uh, fight against this uh, issue. Yeah, thank you very much, Mohammed. Um, I will um, get back to Olena regarding the criminal court, but let's ask Carolyn first regarding the no-fly zone. Many Ukrainian officials um, called for the no-fly zone. Even today, during the press conference of the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson in Warsaw, he um, has been confronted by an angry Ukrainian who demanded Western nations enforce a no-fly zone. However, Boris Johnson's response was strange a little bit. Let's see how he responded. Putin children are in Netherlands, in Germany, in mansions. Where are all these mansions seized? I don't see that. I see that my family members, that my team members are saying that we are crying. We don't know what to run. This is what is happening, Prime Minister. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for... For your questions and and thank you for, for getting here today and I'm, I'm glad that you, you have been able to to get here and uh, look, i just want to, to say that i'm acutely conscious that there is not enough that we can do uh, to as the as a uk government uh, to help in the way that you want and i've got to be honest about that and when you talk about the the no-fly zone 
uh, as I said to Volodymyr uh, Zelensky, I, I think a, a couple of times. Unfortunately, the implication of, of that is that the uh, the UK and uh, will be engaged in in shooting down uh, Russian planes. Uh, will be engaging direct combat uh, with Russia. That's not something uh, that uh, we can do or that we uh, that we've envisaged. And I think the consequences of that would be uh, truly very very difficult to uh, to control. Yeah, Karunen. How do you see Boris Johnson's response? Well, certainly, I think that this has been a very important uh, conversation right now, especially as we're starting to see Russian forces advance on Kyiv. Uh, I think that the imposition of a no-fly zone, I don't necessarily see the West imposing this uh, anytime soon, just given that there is concern that it could cause direct conflict by shooting down Russian air, uh, planes and, and aircraft. Uh, not only just between NATO forces and, and Russia, but also, of course, uh, intensify the, the clashes between the Ukrainian people and, and, and Russian forces. Uh, that being said, I have seen some uh, justified calls for a safe zone within Ukraine. Um, you know, this would be essentially an area where uh, essentially forces would agree to cease hostilities. Um I feel like you could technically try and impose something through additional sanctions and pressure. Uh, I don't necessarily see Russia taking this offer quite yet, given the uh, kind of, I guess you would say, the ceasefire negotiations that we saw today. Um, but certainly, I think that that's something that sh- there should be more conversations about in- imposing a safe zone. Um, and additional sanctions as well. Uh, but, you know, I think that it, it's going to be very tricky to get a lot of these Western and NATO countries on board with imposing an NFC. And regarding sanctions, uh, Caroline, Western government, official economic and sports organization, giant international technology companies all have imposed large sanctions against Russia. Do you think these white sanctions could deter Russia and Putin to stop this war? I think that in the long term, potentially. Uh, but the very unfortunate fact is that I think that Russian forces are still advancing. And at least in the short term, there is going to be some continued and terrifying violence in uh, some major Ukrainian cities. But so what, 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 frag- oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. what can deter Russia and stop this war? I think that additional sanctions, right? So I think that the, the, the restrictions that were imposed on Russian central, Russia's uh, central bank, I think that that was important. We started to see some fragmentation today inside of uh, the Russian Duma and then also, of course, uh, within some elite Russian circles. So, for example, uh, two billionaires, Mikhail Friedman and Oleg uh, Deris-Baska, they called for no war today and started asking for Russia to essentially deliver at least some kind of uh, justification for this violence. And we're, of course, also starting to see widespread protests inside of Russia. Uh, you know, this certainly could fragment political rule within Russia. It could threaten Putin's place in power. But I don't think that's going to tumble in the immediate or, or short term. Uh, so I think that immediately Western countries should, as um, uh, some of the previous speakers have mentioned, I think that they should immediately look to see as, as many, as much military assistance that, that they can give to Ukrainians to arm the resistance to the teeth and to ensure that the Ukrainian people have a chance at survival. And also, of course, try and identify new ways to open up humanitarian uh, corridors and establish safe zones 
inside of Ukraine, while, of course, helping with the humanitarian displacement overspill. Yeah, and regarding the, the point that Ulina um, raised uh, about the, the, the no-fly zone, when it comes to Israel, yeah, the Western government, the U.S. talk about the no-fly zone, but when it comes to Ukraine, no, it's it's difficult to achieve it. Why? I think that one of the big the big things that has concerned both Washington and its NATO allies is the unpredictability of Vladimir Putin. I think that a lot of analysts and a lot of policymakers, uh, they looked at buildup with concern, but dismissed a, a Russian intervention in Ukraine because they thought that the constraints were too much. And now, despite some of the lag, uh, lag performance that we've seen with Russian forces inside of Ukraine, the fact that there's little buy-in among Russian personnel, commanders, and even the Russian populace, uh, and of course the major economic constraints on the Russian economy, Putin's still continuing with this. Um, it demonstrates certainly that uh, Vladimir Putin has no regard for the Ukrainian people's security. Uh, yeah. the, the justification that he made for this war was ridiculous. I was on, a, on, on, a, on an interview recently with someone who said that this was a, an emergency rescue operation, which was just absolutely outrageous. Um, and, but that's, of course, how he's trying to create the narrative around this, this war. Uh, and it, there's no sign yet of him stopping. It doesn't seem like they've you know, genuinely engaged in discussions for de-escalation or ceasefire. Uh, and I think that that is probably the most worrying element. So I think that for Western countries and the NATO alliance as a whole, I think that the NFC is concerning just because if there is a Russian plane that is shot down, usually the deterrent would be war with NATO. Um, but they're not quite sure if, if, if Putin would back down and that this would be something that could turn into a reality and yeah. widespread conflict. Yeah, um, and before I um, went to uh, Kusha, um, just Olena Mohammed raised uh, a very important point. Why Ukraine doesn't take Russia to the International Criminal Court? Yeah, it's not true at all. Uh, we, uh, first of all, you need to uh, take into account uh, time frames. You can't like just, uh, you know, it's not one page uh, document which you uh, has to, uh, have to send uh, to the court. Uh, it's already in the uh, office of the general prosecutor. Uh, and as far as I know, the document, uh, at least preliminary document, is ready and they had to fi have to file them within uh, several days. As I told you, uh, a lot of uh, organizations, first of all, human rights defenders, they made uh, coalition and we are now gathering and collecting evidences into one and, uh, file with the same criteria according to the international court so it's not true that we are not filing well, but uh, the matter of time like the country in war uh, we are like working under uh, I would say it's um, unprecedented pressure when you have to walk from uh, bomb shelters or you had to combine your work with uh, air strikes and other things. So uh, I think within several days it would be there. But the main problem is that, uh, um, I, I don't know if you know that uh, Russians, they didn't uh, ratify um, uh, Roman statute. So it, it could be 
and it's possible that we would need also to alert the United Nations to have an international tribunal uh, yeah. on this case. And this is one more thing which we are working on. Uh, yesterday, it was established the procedure. procedure. Uh, we have uh, uh, also um, now petition uh, which we hope uh, many people uh, from around the world will sign and support the idea of international tribunal for Putin. So it is one more efficient way how to punish them. Yeah. And uh, I hope I hope it also one of the way, how, ways how we can stop them. And um, I'm just also very sorry. I have to go. Uh, I have uh, appearance on BBC soon. But uh, okay. I want to uh, uh, tell one more thing. Like, accept, uh, sure. of course, no-fly no zone, accept embargo, accept uh, uh, support of our uh, army and support of just civilians, I mean, from the, uh, all the humanitarian um, efforts and uh, humanitarian help. I think it's it's also very important what what was happening last days in some capitals. For example, Berlin, what we saw, these protests, huge, massive protests, which changed, in reality, this protest changed the politics in Germany because uh, uh, they've been, uh, like, rather reluctant and we couldn't uh, even get any uh, decisive uh, measures uh, even after the first attacks and people who went to the streets they could push their politicians to take another decisions what is my main message uh, i think that sometimes uh, politicians they are trying just to, uh, you know, protect themselves, uh, to protect their political uh, scores, to protect their uh, popularity, to protect their positions. And they don't think about uh, possible outcomes, and especially they don't think about lives of other people who are living in another country, especially when this country is far away, thousands of kilometers or something like this. You know, like for them, it could be just uh, one more country on the map. But people who are uh, coming out to the streets, they feel like this what is happening in Ukraine in democratic country which decided to uh, move to the European Union and just another guy decided that no, they are not going to move forward. We want to stop them and if they don't want to stop, we will destroy them. I think this is a case for whole uh, world about what we are going to do in the future with our uh, just world order. Uh, if Ukraine collapses, it means that whole world order will collapse because civilized democratic country was fighting uh, for her choice and everybody, like, I, I mean, collective uh, um, civilized world was just looking at this, uh, I don't know, like helping with finance and with some uh, words of support and that's all. Sorry, I think it would be a, a huge problem for the whole world. And ordinary people, they understand this better than politicians. And I hope that yeah. in many other countries, people uh, could wake up their politicians and um, like really push them to take uh, more decisive uh, ways how to help Ukraine. Yeah, Olina Sotnik, member of Ukrainian parliament. I thank you very much for joining me today. 
Please Thank stay safe. We stand in solidarity yes. with you and with all Ukrainian people. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and um, to you, Kusha, just um, unmute yourself, please. Hello, Sam. Are you able to hear Hi. me? Yeah, go ahead. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to be able to hear from uh, Ukrainians, specifically those who are or were uh, members of parliament. That's a very um, enriching opportunity. And it was very nice um, to be able to get the chance to hear some of their um, sorrows and their worries and their concerns. Uh, I think it's very fruitful for all of us who are listening and will thank be you. listening. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I want to raise, because there was a lot of talk about like sanctioning and sanctioning Russia and like the potential benefits of doing so. And like the um, no fly zone that was also mentioned, I, or I believe, or at least about like the airspace. But I think one of the concerns that I really have is about, and I think many people, have, not just me, but about the potential for this serious SM war, very serious war to escalate further to the point of thermonuclear destruction. And I think it's not something that should just be brushed off at all. I think if anyone has been looking closely at the history of the United States and Russia, namely when it was the Soviet Union, but I mean, still, Russia today has the nukes from those times and, you know, they have thousands, the U.S. has thousands. But the ability to see an escalation to thermonuclear war is not minute or trivial. Uh, we know that Putin put his nuclear weapons on high alert. And we know that he was willing to escalate just now uh, over these past few days by invading Ukraine. Obviously, Putin has the history of military jingoism when it came to Chechnya, Dagestan, Georgia, annexing Crimea, and just now invading Ukraine. And I think that it should not be a predicament in which in any way, the U.S. government and its military and its jingoism should be uh, condoned. But rather, we just need to tell the full story that the role of NATO in its expansionism, trying to get Ukraine to be a member, is a very dangerous one and has been a very dangerous one. Even Henry Kissinger, one of the yeah. most egregious war, Henry Alfred Kissinger, one of the most egregious war criminals in U.S. and world history, who is responsible for the overthrow of Salvador Allende in Chile and responsible for so much of the destruction in Southeast Asia of Vietnam and Cambodia. Even he acknowledged, based on his um, ideology of real politics for his benefits, that the expanding Ukraine uh, into be a member of NATO is going to be very damaging for world affairs. And um, it's showing it right now. Yeah, and we know thanks. that Ukraine has um, a history with um, the Nazism that needs to be condemned, but the Ukrainian government only a few years ago uh, recognized, if I'm not mistaken, Bandera uh, collaborated with Hitler and the fascists in the 40s uh, yeah. being something like a figure worth recognition. That's not to say anything by Putin is justified at all. He's a war criminal. What he did, uh, what I just saw videos of in Kharkiv, in the public square in Ukraine, was so disgusting and abominable. I was just so, I was so ashamed of it. He escalated this crisis that obviously has many actors in bad faith like the United States and NATO. He escalated to unimaginable degrees to the point where so many of us are concerned about a nuclear war and a nuclear fallout and a yeah. nuclear holocaust. Th thank you, Kosha. Thank you, thank you very much. And I want to add, Caroline, to, to what Kosha just saying now. Today, a Russian commentator told me on my TV show that Russia probably may pump two cities in Britain 
or any other European uh, cities with missiles as a punishment for its confrontation with Russia. Um, two days ago, as Kosha said, the Russian President Vladimir Putin put his country's nuclear force on a high alert, made millions globally experience the so-called the World War Three. So, please walk us through the scenarios. What is worried you most in the next days? And this is my final question. Um, well, first off, Osama, I'm so sorry to hear that a Russian commentator threatened uh, with, with that. <laughs> That's definitely very concerning. Um, yeah. Certainly, I think the fact that Russia put uh, its forces and, and, and this on high alert, I think that's incredibly concerning. It is concerned myself and my colleagues in the United States and, of course, uh, the international community. I think that for me, one of the biggest uh, scenarios um, that I'm not necessarily sure is the most likely scenario, because I still do think that this is very much a deterrent. Um, and this is, in, in some cases, leverage that Putin is trying to wield for uh, future negotiations. But again, uh, we're, we're not necessarily sure where uh, Putin's head is at at this point. Um, I think that watching the Belarus-Poland border is going to be incredibly important here because um, not only is there indication that Russia could stage these weapons there, but also, of course, that there is the potential for clashes between Polish and NATO forces um, and Belarusian and Russian forces that are staged there. Um, I think that that is incredibly concerning. Uh, and, and, you know, there, of course, is a possibility that that could later lead to uh, Russia trying, you know, considering use of its its nuclear weapons. Um, again, I would really like to, to to emphasize that this is not necessarily the most likely course, but certainly the most dangerous course of action um, that all of us could imagine. And uh, certainly, I really hope it does not come to this point. Um, and I hope that you know nuclear uh, weapons will continue to be a deterrent rather than something that will enable escalation. Yeah. Thank you very much, Caroline Rose, for joining me today. And also thank you for Mustafa Derwish for being with us today. And this was an episode to hear and listen to voices from Kiev, from Ukrainian cities. And so finally, I would say that a war is a war. It always has victims. And all of these victims are civilians or people who stand for their dignity, people who are defending their country. So for all Western media, for the sake of God, stop classifying people according to ethnicity, color, eyes, backgrounds, because victims are victims. Refugees are refugees. Simply, they are humans. They have families, they have friends, they have children, they have their own lives, and they have or had their own countries. But unfortunately, when war comes, they have no choice except fleeing their countries and looking for safety. So please... For all of us, stand for humanity, stand for refugees, and say it loudly, stop the war. Thank you very much.